Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. It's a great rule for living, one central to our Christian faith, and it comes to us courtesy of the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Romans. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Based on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, here's today's message, which is entitled, The Continuing Debt to Love. And it begins with a story about parenting and the art of negotiation. Well, you know, since becoming a grandparent last year, I have to confess that not only have I spent countless hours just reveling in the wonder of it all, but also I spent a fair amount of time actually reminiscing about the first time around when this happened, when, when Lisa and I were young parents and raising our three children. And, and some of those memories kind of make me cringe a little bit, but uh, uh, some of them just, I, I look back in a little bit of wonder. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is how Lisa and I discovered early on as young parents way back when, is that raising children very often becomes an exercise in the subtle art of negotiation. (laughs) Now, by this, I mean that in order to get those children to do something we want them to do, or perhaps more often than not, to convince them not to do something we don't want them to do, not often, but Sometimes, we would have to agree to something they want, either at that particular moment or or at some point later on. Now, looking back on it now, of course, I realize we probably shouldn't have been doing that. After all, good parenting does require setting firm but loving boundaries, does it not? as well as learning to say no and making it stick, right? It's just that sometimes, sometimes your eyes are so firmly set on the prize, you will do most anything to get it. As one sage has aptly observed, parents are not interested in justice, they want quiet. So yes, there were a few times with our three kids that we engaged in, shall we say, a trade-off or two. You know, if you go along, if you get along, if you do what needs to be done, honey, then later on, we'll let you do this thing or have that treat. Now, I know basically what we're talking about here is bribery. And I'm not proud of this. This is what I talk about when I say sometimes I cringe when I think about it. But but I am, and I'm not proud to admit to you here this morning that by and large, it worked. (laughs) In fact, as I recall, sometimes it worked all too well. Our youngest, Zachary, for instance, by the age of five, had become something of an expert in the art of the deal. That kid could parlay a simple household chore into our buying him a Thomas the Tank Engine train before we knew what hit us. (laughs) There's also 
one time I remember when he was still pretty young. We were trying to encourage Zach to stay in his own room and in his own bed all through the night, rather than, as he often did, finding his way into our room and our bed every night. So Lisa said to him, Zachary, if you will stay in your own bed without getting up for five nights, then we'll go out and buy you a new fish for your aquarium. And that was a pretty big deal to him at the time. And it was great for us as well even as he managed to get his deal up to three new fish. (laughs) But still, friends, that was okay. The only trouble with this was, all through the week that followed, no matter what it was we were talking about, even when we weren't talking to him, we could count on Zachary, our son, our baby, to break into the conversation and say, yeah, but mom... Don't forget, you owe me three fish. Well, so much for the reward system. (laughs) Try as we did to explain to Zach that first he had to earn the fish. As far as he was concerned, he was owed those fish, and that was all that mattered. As I think about it now, though, I suppose that at least in one sense, the boy was right. We did enter into an agreement with him, and just because he was only five did not mean that we weren't expected to honor that agreement. I mean, that's the only fair response, given, especially given that he did stay in his room for five nights. But the question sort of lingered, and I think about it even now. Did we actually owe him three fish? as though we incurred some type of debt that was to be collected? Now, truthfully, I'm not sure how this would hold up in a court of law, but my answer is, well, probably not. The thing is, friends, is we don't really owe our children in this regard. We don't have to give them everything they want or ask for or think they need. We don't have to give them, say, cell phones at the age of five. I I don't know. In actuality, the only thing that any of us really owe our kids is love. Love. But of course, it's love that makes all the difference, right? Because, you know this, when you love your children, that means you're going to provide them with food and and shelter and clothing that you're going to protect them from all harm. You're going to do everything you can to give them a good education, to offer them up both a life of stability, discipline, and kindness, along with a whole lot of hugs, time for cuddling, and yes, even for once in a while, three fish for his aquarium. Our debt, you see, that is, what we owe those children in that instance isn't a burden at all. Because in love, paying what we owe is a joy. Our text for this morning that Sarah shared with us comes from Paul's epistle to the church in Rome. And as it turns out, it comes on the heels of Paul having just given 
these new Christians some very practical advice for living. Simply put, he says, make sure you pay your bills. That is really the summation of it. Whether it's a tax debt or it's for services rendered, Paul says, pay to all what is due them. This comes in the verses just prior to where we picked up the reading today. But in those first few verses, he even broadens this whole idea of paying all what is due to them. It includes an idea to give respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Even, presumably, if that person just happens to be part of the first century version of the IRS. Pay your bills. Pay your taxes. Be subject to authority. It's all there in those first few verses. And Paul is very clear about it. But i got to tell you, even for us today, who live in a society that thrives on the concept of credit, it's a hard lesson that he's giving. Owe no one anything. So, Today's text is powerful, if a little bit unsettling. But here's why I love this text. What we discover in this passage is that just when we think that Paul is speaking solely of a practical, worldly matters relating to financial obligations and governing authorities, he moves the concern to a more spiritual level. To wit, Paul says... Owe no one anything except to love one another. I'm actually quite fond of the New International Version of Scripture's translation of this. Let no debt remain outstanding except, it says, the continuing debt to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Now, that stands very nicely on its own, but understand that theologically speaking, this was a very important distinction for these early Christians in Rome. After all, these Christians knew themselves to be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. They knew that their salvation was there and not by adherence to the law, and they also understood that as such they were not obligated to the letter of the law nor did they owe anything to the law. Yet, at the same time, they also knew that Jesus was teaching that love is the fulfilling of the law, and that all of the commandments, in fact, could be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, in fact, these Roman Christians did owe a debt a debt that needed to be paid, but it was a debt and a continuing debt to love. And so it is for you and me, friends. Central to our Christian faith, you see, is this glorious truth that we are loved. We're loved infinitely by God's own grace. It is a gift to us. It is freely given and it comes to us at the greatest and highest possible cost, that of Christ on the cross. 
And let me say this again because it bears repeating. It is a gift that's freely given. There are no strings attached to this gift. But you see, because it's a gift of love, by its very nature, it creates a debt to love in return. And that creates a whole another group of challenges. For try as we might, this becomes a debt that we can never possibly be paid in full. You know the saying that you can't outgive God? Well, you can't outlove God either. Nonetheless, we try, of course, because love given in response to love received is not a debt that's burdensome. It's a debt that's joyous. For by such love, not only do we fulfill the law's intent, but we begin to move ever closer to the kingdom of heaven. And it's something that we need to consider as we live out the days of this life. Let me ask you a few questions. Do we owe our neighbor a kind word or an outstretched hand when they're in need? According to the world's standards? No, not really. Their problems are just that, their problems. And as the saying goes, good fences make good neighbors, so you know, keep, your, keep a good, respectful, and polite distance. You don't have to do that. You don't owe them anything. Except that according to the debt to love, We are being called to love our neighbor with the same level of care and kindness that has been given us. Do we owe anything to the homeless and the hungry? Do we owe anything to those in trouble? Do we owe anything to those mired in despair? Now, some would say, a lot of people today would say that the responsibility for helping those in need belongs to government programs, and and charitable institutions. As Christians, however, we understand that such a mission comes from the one who teaches us the meaning of true charity, of true love. This truth that whenever we give food or water or clothing to the least of our brothers and sisters, we are doing it to and for our Lord Jesus. Okay. Or, or let me bring this just a little bit closer to home. You ready? Big question here. Do we owe the church an offering this morning? Years ago, I had a parishioner in a prior congregation who considered himself to be a member of the congregation. His family had been part of that church for generations. But in fact, this gentleman rarely darkened the door of the church. And when he was asked why, he would always say the same thing. I don't go anywhere that charges me a pew tax. A pew tax. And he and I would have conversations about this. And I remember trying to explain to this man that pew taxes went out of fashion, oh, say around 200 years ago. And that his giving, that was a matter, a confidential matter between him and God. But my earnest pastoral teaching was to no avail. As far as he was concerned, 
Every time I said the morning offering will now be received, he just thought that that was the beginning of the latest tax collection, a tax that was owed to the church. And I was never able to convince him otherwise. You know, and I've always kind of smiled at that memory. But it does beg the question, does it not? Do we owe it to this community of faith to make an offering? Do we owe it to this community of faith to serve on a committee or to volunteer at a church supper or, or to work in any number of ways towards a vision of the future for this congregation? The truth is, and I'd like to apologize in advance to Cindy and Julie and our trustees, no, none of us owe the church or anyone else anything at all. But, didn't think you are going to get out of it this easy, did you? But, on the other hand, if we know that we are persons and a people loved by God, if you and I love Jesus, the one who was literally dying to love us, then we are in fact in debt to him. And this debt to love cannot help but lead us to an active response to our common ministry as the Church of Jesus Christ. Here in this place, outward to the world, and that cannot help but have an effect on what we put in the offering plate. Now, I know it's a little early in the season for this, but let me, let me give you a basic tenet of stewardship this morning. When giving, in whatever form it takes, time, talent, or treasure, when it takes place out of begrudging obligation, it's going to be a burden. No two ways around it. But when our giving is done out of the response to love, even when it, it, it is a sacrificial gift on our parts, it becomes a gift of great joy. It becomes a true blessing. For others, yes, but also for ourselves. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about, says Paul. That's what constitutes our debt unto the Lord. Understanding, of course, that we are talking about love that in the words of 1 Corinthians is patient and kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It is the kind of love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love we've been given, and this is the love that we owe to God and to God's people. But understand this, and this is the other half of our text this morning. As Paul goes on to say, this is also the kind of love this should not be postponed. For the night is far gone, the day is near, and the kingdom is coming soon. Just as most of us understand on some level that the time to love our children or our families is now and not when they're gone, it's also true that the time for love's work to be done is right here, right now. Let us throw off the works of darkness, says Paul, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk decently as in the day. 
I always find these particular verses very interesting because Paul, as soon as he says this, then goes on to talk about not engaging in reveling and drunkenness and, well, let's just say worse. And it's all a legitimate concern when seeking to love as we have been loved. Ultimately, putting all that aside for a second, what what Paul is really getting at here is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ as regards all things in our lives. It speaks to how we live, how we choose not to live. It speaks to the choices we make in this life. It speaks to our ethic and our morality and our happiness and joy. Each and every day, you see, we are, each and all of us, given opportunities to live out the love of Jesus Christ, that love we've been given, by sharing that love in the places where we dwell. Do not underestimate what that means, friends. What it means is that we have the ability to create unity on the one hand or divisiveness on the other. And it can happen by the words we choose, by the attitudes and actions we espouse. It's our decision which way this goes. And how we choose says everything about our faith and our indebtedness to God. How we answer this debt to love and how we answer it with our own lives tells everybody, you see, about our faith. And moreover, it teaches those around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our children and co-workers, and grandchildren, all about the love of Jesus Christ, all about the kingdom of heaven in our midst. My question overall here this morning is this. What do you owe the Lord today? What kind of debt to love do you carry in your life and living? And most importantly, how do you seek to repay that debt? You see, beloved, your answer to that question makes all the difference as to whether you leave here today feeling like you're carrying a burden or whether your life and living is going to burst forth with a spirit of joy and thanksgiving. My hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that in everything that comes our way this week, we will be found wearing that armor of light that comes to each one of us in Jesus Christ. And that love will not only be our watchword, but it'll be our mission And it will be our joy. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Not a bad way to live today and each and every day. And as we do, giving our thanks unto God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Continuing Debt to Love. 
it was recorded during our September the 10th service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are a small, mighty, and spirited congregation, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our worship. I know you'll be glad you came. And until then, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you so much for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.